Welcome to the WeGo Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share with us the story of the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard intro music from Andy Georgieff, class of 2022. Today, I catch up with class of 2020's Anna Fortelka, a mechanical engineering student at the University of Illinois, and who currently has what may be the coolest internship in the world, designing and testing Formula One engines in the Red Bull Racing and Technology Lab in England. Anna will share with us how working on cars in her dad's garage set her on a path to now design and create some of the most innovative race engines with the best technology for Formula One racing. Joining us from the class of 2020 is Anna Fortelka. Anna, what do you do? Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, so currently I'm in a durability engineering placement at Red Bull Powertrains. So that's kind of like a year-long internship, but for the past two years and then for a year and a half after this one, I'm also studying mechanical engineering at University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Anna, when did you first know that you had kind of a, an aptitude for STEM and, uh, and that kind of field of study? So I didn't always think that I was STEM-minded, actually, which might surprise some people. Um, growing up, I always really liked reading. I liked stories, and I spent all my time reading like novels. And my dad was always working on cars, and I thought that was super interesting. But I didn't really get into it until kind of right before I went to college, actually. So um, I took physics in high school. And I really liked it. I took AP Physics 1 and 2, and that kind of opened up my um, desire and passion to learn more about STEM. But to be honest, I didn't always think that I was good at math. I, I think it was just something that I worked hard on and kind of figured out as I got through it. So um, I never really thought that I would study STEM until um, I just remember kind of in high school, I would help my dad work on cars in the garage a little bit. And I was always super interested in how every single small component worked together. And um, I really liked just cars and planes and that sort of thing. So um, I decided to study mechanical engineering at University of Illinois. And then it wasn't until I actually got to U of I where I kind of realized I had a really big passion for these things. Um, I joined the Formula SAE team, which is a student program where students design, build and race a formula style race car. and I remember the first day I walked into the workshop that they have, they were running the engine and I just knew like, that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted to be involved in. So it wasn't really until I actually started getting into those things that I actually really discovered a passion for STEM. How cool is it that all that time spent 
in your dad's garage kind of allowed you to just really just jump right in once you got uh, on campus. Uh, yeah. Once once you were in that program uh, that you were just describing, uh, do you remember like what was the first thing that you were able to work on, like working on the Formula One? Yeah, so um, Formula One is a bit different than the Formula SAE program I was in. So I kind of describe it to people as like F1 is like the NFL, you could say. It's the highest level for motorsport and then formula sae which i was involved in was more kind of like a intramural um football team against other okay yeah, yeah. Oh, that's that's a nice yes. distinction yep and i think the first project that i got involved in in formula sae my first year was just um so they were using an, a past design for an intake manifold and i was pretty much just updating the design to fit a new fuel injector um, a new fuel injector model that we are trying to integrate into the engine subsystem. So it was just a good challenge for me to get to know kind of the architecture of the engine, learn how to use CAD. Um, if you're interested in engineering, you'll be familiar with computer animated design, which is CAD. And it's just basically a way that you can model objects on the computer. And it's really useful for any engineer today. So that was good skills for me early on, but it was scary. So I'm glad I kind of challenged myself in that. Now and and so when you when you think about that engine park is is that something that you can then fabricate there once you uh, are are have the idea in mind? Yep, yep. So um, the uh, intake manifold itself was three D printed, and um, the way that you could test different designs that you had been working on, like a prototype, is just print a small piece of that design. Um, we have a bunch of three D printers at there's like a lab and at U of I for the mechanical engineering students to use. So, um, and then you could also get it sent out to like a external um, supplier that would work with our team and kind of sponsor us. And then we'd put their logo on a car and that sort of thing. So it was good kind of business and networking experience as well. You start from absolute scratch with the car or do you improve upon, let's say last season's design? How, how did, what's the process of that? Yeah, so um, our team is quite lucky at U of I. We're, we've been around for 40 years. Um, the team is called Illini Motorsports. And um, so we have a really good database and a really good alumni network that can kind of, um, we have like a team wiki that's been around for, I think like six or seven years. I'm not sure mm -hmm. exactly, but it's been around for a while. So we've always been like pretty good at transferring knowledge back and forth, but with certain challenges, like for example, this new injector model we hadn't used before, so um, in some ways you can kind of build upon what's been done in the past, but in other ways you have to kind of go into uncharted territory. Territory. So it's a really good mix of learning from the past and then like challenging yourself with new things that haven't been done before. So what does the competition look like? Do you go up against, let's say, Purdue or Michigan, or do you yeah. go up like what's how what is the how do you know that you have succeeded in ways that maybe the previous models weren't as successful? Sure. So every year um, there's a nationwide competition. There's either there's even some international schools that come to it's normally held in Michigan. And so there's two competitions every year. And um, like we compete against Purdue, Michigan, pretty much any school that has a team in the U.S. will come to Michigan. I forget how many teams there were somewhere a couple hundred I think um wow. and then you have um some students from Germany that come you have students from Brazil from 
uh, Canada. There's there's it's, students come from all over to compete in Michigan, and our team actually won both competitions this year. So that was a really incredible experience. Oh, that's that's exciting. I was wondering if you could maybe describe more about the University of Illinois engineering program because it, it's just my my cousin was uh, he's a pretty bright guy and I remember when he got in it was like wow that's that's amazing I was wondering if you can maybe that kind of tell me more about the the program as as you see it sure yeah it's a really great program um I think it's a very large program it's one of the more popular ones um, in engineering at U of I and there's a lot of different classes that you can take. Um, if you're interested in kind of one area of mechanical engineering, because mechanical engineering is actually really broad, you can kind of specialize in a lot of different fields. You can specialize in agriculture, in automotive, in aerospace, in manufacturing, in sustainability, you name it, it just goes on. So you can take lots of different electives um, once you kind of get to your later years, your third and your fourth year of the course. Um, and specialize in research. There's tons of different research that U of I has. So if you're interested in that, that's a really good opportunity. But then there's also a lot of student-run organizations similar to mine. Um, there's not just ones where you build a car, there's ones where people build rockets, where they work on um, sustainable cars, where they work on um, just all different sorts of similar projects where you're designing and building and testing something. Um, so I think there's a lot of really great opportunities to get involved at U of I, but it is really challenging as well. You spend a lot of time studying. You kind of sometimes wish that you were um, maybe in a field that didn't require as much studying. But at the end <laughs> of the day, if, if that's what you enjoy, like it all comes out um, worth it and you can really find what you're passionate about. But, yeah, I'd say it is pretty challenging. I, I think most people would agree they like our engineers to be meticulous. <laughs> so it's a good yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a good thing. I'll take it. I'll take it. Were there any other like electives that kind of almost got your interest and kind of peeled you away from mechanical engineering? Was there one like, well, that one's pretty good. I have to say, I haven't taken as many electives in the two years that I've been there because your first two years are really focused on kind of getting prerequisites done. So you have a lot of foundational courses. There's math, physics, um, a, several different science courses that you have to take. You have to take um, beginnings of like dynamics, thermodynamics, solid mechanics, a lot of kind of foundational courses. Then once you get into your third and your fourth year, you can really apply those courses that you learned earlier on into a into like an actual application um, that I mentioned. So, but I think really in, instead of an elective, just getting involved outside of my classes in the Formula SAE team was a really great way to apply the things that I was learning in my classes and to kind of get that hands-on experience as well because anyone can kind of read a textbook but it really helps you to understand the concepts in your classes better when you're physically applying them on the car or in the machine shop or whatever it is that you're working on. You were, you were also involved with some other programs as well the Society of Women Engineering. Uh, I was wondering if you could maybe talk about your involvement there as well. Sure. So I definitely wasn't as involved in that organization as I was with Formula SAE. But um, one of the cool things I did get to do with Society of Women Engineers was to be a orientation leader. So um, I did this my first year when I came in and they have kind of like a SWE orientation. It's like a woman in engineering program where um, if you're a, a starting student, like it's your first year and you can kind of spend the first weekend of school getting to learn um, the different like areas around campus, getting to know older um, women that are in your field, in your major, 
and making friendships with people who are also starting out as well. So that was a really great experience, both for me to be involved in my first year. Um, I met one of my best friends there and um, we're still friends today. And she's also in mechanical engineering. So that was really great. And then I got to lead that my second year, which was super rewarding um, to have to kind of show girls around and show them like the different um, activities and organizations and classes that you can get involved with and just make them feel welcome there. And for example, I wouldn't have gotten involved with Formula SAE if um, one of the girls in my first year group didn't refer me to it because she was already on a team. So I think um, that was a really great experience just to kind of be a mentor and be men, I guess, be led by girls that were older than me my first year. I love just the examples of the power of networking and how really it, it, it can be so beneficial. I think it's just a, a great example that you have there. Um, you know, you weren't, you were also involved in something that seemed to be kind of even beyond uh, engineering. Uh, I wonder if you could tell us about uh, Operation Freedom Project and what you did there as well. Sure. So um, my last year of high school, it was um, when I was a senior, I found out about the Travis Mannion Foundation, which if you're not familiar with it, I highly recommend looking it up. It's in honor of um, Travis Mannion, who gave his life in service to our country in the military. Um, and he had a motto that was, if not me, then who? Mm. And um, he, his, he was a really great example of the, the concept of if I don't kind of do my part and step out to serve others, to be selfless, to make a difference in other people's lives, then who will? And I think when I heard that motto and heard his story, it really inspired me. And um, I've always been really passionate about helping our veterans and um, giving back to those who have served our country. And so I um, decided to do kind of a service project towards the midway through my senior year. And um, I was able to raise money online through just people's kind gen um, don kind donations that went through um, on like an online website that I had set up through the organization. And then I was also able to um, collect canned donations. So I collected a lot of them through friend friends and family, but I was also able to go back to um, the elementary school that I attended, um, Turner Elementary School, and I kind of gave a little presentation about Travis Mannion and what he stood for and how we can help people, um, especially because um, the focus of the project, I didn't mention this before, was um, to give back to a homeless veterans organization that was in Wheaton. So I was collecting all of those cans and those donations to give to that um, organization. And so it was really cool to be able to teach younger students in the elementary school as well about the importance of that. And then they raised a ton of cans. They brought in a bunch of stuff and I was able to give it over to the um, homeless veteran shelter. And it was really rewarding to be able to do that. So um, that's something else I'm really passionate about as well. Uh, what That must have been such a wonderful day uh, for everyone involved there. Wow, that's just fantastic. While at U of I, like, do you remember like what was maybe your like your first kind of like maybe favorite class that you had there or any, and, and what was like maybe the first time that you, I mean, you already said that you got to kind of work in the garage and kind of work with these kind of really unique tools uh, to work on uh, the car, but were there any other really interesting technology that you can work with at some of these labs at U of I? Sure. So um, one of my favorite courses was thermodynamics. Um, it's something that I've been able to apply a decent amount in my internship here at Red Bull Powertrains, but um, I really liked just the application of those ideas and engines and other power generation um, machinery and concepts that I'm interested in within mechanical engineering. But 
Um, I had a really good teacher for that course and I learned a lot through it. And one of the things that we got to do was visit um, as a field trip. U of I actually has a power plant on site, kind of a little bit off of campus. So um, we were able to visit that and see each um, part of the power plant and how that worked. And that was a really cool experience because not a lot of people get to see those sort of things. And um, it's just amazing the power and the size of the machinery and the equipment. And you kind of got to crawl in like next to the boilers and it was just really cool. Um, so some people wouldn't find that interesting, but for me as an engineer, I thought it was really cool. Um, and that was a really uh, nice experience for me. In terms of software, I think just learning CAD was really nice. Um, I had a manufacturing class that I took my freshman year and we got to do some optimization of different things like um, computer numerical controlled machining or CNC machining, which is where basically you can um, design a part in CAD, which I mentioned a little bit before, you can design a part and then you can code um, a, a big mill essentially or a big lathe that to make the part itself. So um, you don't, instead of someone manually turning the lathe, or um, turning the mill, the computer will be coded to kind of generate the part and cut out the pieces it needs itself. Um, so that was really cool. I got to learn how to do that in a manufacturing class as well. Is is the learning curve on software um, difficult? Like, I mean, how much of it do you have to know? Do you have to know any code for that? Or is that just, or, and do you, does someone kind of walk you through it or is it kind of sink or swim in terms of learning uh, some of the software? I would say it's definitely not sink or swim. Um, I didn't know any programming or coding before I got to U of I. I had barely done any of it. Um, but I had a introductory computer science course. I took my second semester of my freshman year, um, and that was really helpful. And then as well as the manufacturing course in that instance, the teachers and the TAs kind of took you through step by step how to do each part of it. it they never really kind of just said, oh, figure it out. I think the um, the TAs and the professors at U of I are really helpful. And there's always a lot of office hours and study groups that you can join if you're struggling. But um, I think software for me is something that can be daunting at times when you're kind of faced with a new software or coding language and something like that, that you have to learn. Um, and I face this a lot in my internship now. I had several different areas of software and coding languages that I just wasn't familiar with when I came into the internship. But then in that situation, you just kind of have to throw yourself into it allow yourself to make mistakes and to learn. And kind of once you just immerse yourself in it in no time, you'll look back and think, oh, I remember when this made no sense, but now it does. Um, so I think that was a, a thing that I learned was not to be too afraid when you don't know something, just kind of take the next step and learn from people who do and ask questions. And yeah, don't let the fear of messing up hold you back from learning something new, I think was a big thing I've learned. You you uh you answered a question that I didn't ask just there, which was like, what's a really good study uh, tip, and I think really your uh, approach uh, and philosophy encouraged uh, what you just described right there is just so spot on uh, with that. But maybe there is more, even more a technical uh, aspect to that. What what would be a good study tip for uh, someone who is wants to be successful in engineering or otherwise? Sure, I think. The way that I needed to study in college was very different than the way that I needed to study in high school. And to be honest, that took me maybe a semester or two to learn. And it took some hard patches in my classes to learn as well. Um, in a lot of my mechanical engineering courses, they're very um, 
some of them had a lot of quizzes. So, for example, you'd be taking a quiz every week to kind of reiterate what you learn. Some of them, there's only one or two tests all semester, and that kind of is the basis of your grade is those tests. Mm. So I, I had learned a lot um, over the course of the past two years in mechanical engineering that you have to really kind of be ahead of your coursework. Um, you can't really get by by being even on top of it, like kind of on time. You have to be working ahead of the the timeline of um, your, your project. So at the beginning of the year, you get a syllabus and it'll lay out all of your deadlines. And I found that I needed to be maybe a week ahead of where things were due because um, if you're not studying kind of actively and understanding things as they come up, then you'll kind of fall behind. So I found that for myself, going to office hours is really helpful. Completing things two, three, two days before they were due. Um, of course, that doesn't always happen, but um, kind of getting things done ahead of time was really helpful. And um, the bigger thing I learned as well was in terms of studying for exams, um, I thought that maybe just revising the concepts in something like Quizlet would be helpful because that's what worked for me in high school. Um, but in, in my university classes, the thing that helped the most was just redoing practice problems. It wasn't as much knowing the concepts and being able to recite the definition, but almost knowing how to apply it in a problem is really what they expect you to do um, in a typical engineering exam. So um, I found that really just knowing the application of the concepts and not as much maybe the definition or the examples was um, really beneficial for me, but that took me a while to learn. It was definitely like hard to start off. And I think everyone experiences that. I love that. That, that has to be one of my favorite answers <laughs> of all time. <laughs> I've asked that one. Like that was, that was like, that was perfect. Just perfect. Oh, wow. Anna, that was awesome. I, and so you've been able to then secure these internships. I, I was wondering if you could kind of walk me through uh, how you got your first internship and then ultimately how you are now in England uh, working with Red Bull. Sure. So um, I, when I, my first year, when I was my first summer, I guess, after I completed my first year at U of I, um, I got an internship at Caterpillar. Um, and if you're not familiar with them, they make big, construction and mining equipment you definitely have seen all of their products and the construction sites when you're driving down the road um but I worked as a, it was a virtual internship but I had a lot of good experiences to kind of go on site go to a manufacturing plant um visit the test site um and I worked on road graders then um and I worked on in a, de in a design role in that experience so that was a really good experience for me to kind of learn more about how to look at kind of a bigger piece of machinery, a bigger equipment um, per se, and kind of break it into small pieces and learn each part of it um, rather than being overwhelmed by some big assembly or machine. Um, and it taught me a lot about manufacturing and machining and um, I guess just how to think in a design, uh, a design sense and a design way of thinking as well, since I was given a lot of freedom to work on a project there. So I worked on that for the summer and then a few months into this, uh, the fall, I I still worked on those projects until about November. And then that was really the only time I'd ever had an engineering internship, but I worked some jobs back in high school. I worked as a lifeguard. I worked as um, in a landscaping business. I worked at Menards and all those taught me just kind of how to work with people. Mm. It taught me how to work hard. Um, the landscaping one and the Menards one were particularly difficult because I was always on my feet. Um, I worked at Menards during COVID in, and I was picking all the online orders that people 
would buy. So that was super busy during that time, as you could oh, expect. Sure. But yeah. um, I think I wouldn't like put those things down. I think they taught me a lot of really valuable lessons. And I would recommend to anyone in high school to get a job over the summer, find something that you can do. Because um, even if it's just for three months, I learned a lot of valuable lessons from those things, I think. Nice. But yeah, so going back to now, um, I just, yeah, that was the only intern engineering internship I had was with Caterpillar before Red Bull. And then as I was applying for internships for this summer, I guess the summer of 2022, it would be, um, I saw the placement for Red Bull and I was like, oh, pff, I'll never get that. Like that's in England. I like, I have no really like real motorsport experience besides this team that I'm on. Like I will never be noticed for that. And then I just kind of applied for it on a whim. And I didn't think I would even be looked at because I wasn't from the UK. Um, but then I got an email from them and they were like, hey, uh, do you want to do an interview? And I was like, oh, my gosh, yes. So then I interviewed for two positions. Um, I got rejected for one. So if that ever makes you feel better, like, don't give up. Just keep trying <laughs> in that sense. Um, I interviewed for the position that I got actually at four in the morning because they didn't know that I was in the U.S., so they started <laughs> it for 10 a.m. U.K. time, um, but I didn't ask them to change it. I just did it, and I think that gave them a good impression of me, so yeah, and then I just did two internships, or sorry, two interviews, and then I, they gave me a call one day and said, hey, would you want to come to the U.K. and work for us, and I was, I was really blown away. I didn't ever think I would get that, so I think it's just a life lesson of just go for it, just apply for that dream job. Like, you never know, um, what you'll get and even just interviewing for the position that I got rejected for I think helped me to do better in the second interview for the other position that I ended up getting so just even if you fail like you'll learn something from it and just go for that opportunity I think because I never thought I could get to this position so what when you got the the confirmation that you got it I would imagine that must have kind of really put all kinds of wind in your sails to kind of like, oh, oh my goodness, I'm doing this. What was your first step to making your way over there? Like, did you have to like secure like a work visa? Like what, what, what's, what's kind of the logistics involved with you moving over there? Sure. Yeah. Once I got kind of over the initial shock of, <laughs> oh my gosh, I didn't think I would ever live in a different country, but I'm moving to England for a year. Um, I had to apply for a work visa. Um, Red Bull helped me a lot with that. They set up they set you up with like a contractor that does takes care of a lot of that work. Um, it was a bit of a stressful process applying for the visa because it was also at the time when um, Ukraine was a really tough situation. Mm. So the UK was prioritizing a lot of the visas into Ukraine um, and which made a lot of the other visas really delayed. And so I had to actually delay my start date to, to um, travel and start my internship by two weeks. Um, I was meant to start on the 4th of July and I started on the 18th of July. So um, I think it was just a bit of a stressful process. I didn't really know when my visa was going to come in. So I kind of just had to be ready to leave. Um, but uh, it all worked out and I was able to successfully get over. But it, yeah, it was just a long process of looking at um, apartments and figuring out how I was going to live um, in the city where the factory for Red Bull is. Um, and then as well as getting my visa secured. But it, it was it was definitely a stressful time, but it was all worth it, I think. So maybe I can ask a clarification uh, question. Like I, I, I can get my mind around Caterpillar and all, I mean the incredible construction uh, <laughs> equipment that they make. But what is Red? What what is in what capacity is the factory for Red Bull? Sure. Let me. Yeah, I can definitely explain that a little bit more. So um, you have Red Bull, which is the energy drink supplier. 
Um, but then you also have Red Bull Racing, which is a Formula One team that the Red Bull Energy Drink sponsors, essentially. Um, and and so if you're not familiar with Formula One, it's kind of like IndyCar, but on steroids. It's considered yep. the highest level of motorsport. Um, and there's most of the factory, most of the teams have factories that are based in the UK, but some of them have places in Italy. Um, there's an American F1 team, which has um, some of its factories in the US. So it's become really a global sport. They travel all over the, the world um, to almost every single continent for races. I think it's like, yeah, there's um, a large amount of races all over the world. And so um, the teams compete against each other for the world championship and Red Bull Racing has won the world championship for the past two years in a row, which is really exciting. Wow. Um, and so um, specifically the area that I work in um, is Red Bull Powertrains, which is a little bit different than the actual racing team um, because it basically Red Bull Powertrains, the purpose of it is to supply engines and power units to these F1 cars. Um, and currently, um, it's a little bit confusing. Currently, Red Bull Racing, the engine that they use is supplied by Honda. But um, in 2025, in 2026, actually, there's going to be a huge rule change and Honda will no longer supply the power units for Red Bull racing team. So Red Bull said that they want to make their own engine for the first time ever. And they basically set up um, a whole new company and built a brand new factory, which we just moved into this year. Um, I kind of started right at the beginning. Um, I was there for the first fire up of the first Red Bull engine to ever exist. So that was super exciting back in wow. August. Wow. Yeah. And then so basically it's just a race of development to get this power unit developed and ready to be fit and durable and fast to put in an F1 car at the beginning of 2026. Um, and you have a few other different teams that will also supply power units. So you have Mercedes, you have Ferrari, and then Audi has actually announced that they will be entering um, and Honda might supply some power units. So it's a really cool competition. Um, Red Bull Powertrain just signed on a brand new agreement with Ford, which is exciting for me as an American. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a really exciting time, I think. Just to uh, kind of go back a second, what was the reason why be, of the ruling for 2026 that they got away from Honda? What was the thought behind that? Yep. So um, those are, yeah, it's not necessarily because of the rules that Honda left um, or will be leaving Red Bull, but um, the FIA, which is kind of the governing body of um, Formula One and a lot of other racing series, they make all the rules for the sport. Um, they said that in 2026, Starting from that year, there's going to be um, a lot more sustainable power units that there's they're going to be more electrified. They're going to be running on um, a lot of biofuels, which is really exciting. Um, and it's kind of going to make it more um, simple and more translatable to road cars. So that way, the big um, kind of road car manufacturers like Ford, Mercedes, even Ferrari and Audi can come and kind of use this technology um, to transfer it into more sustainable solutions for their road car industry as well. Um, and so the relationship with Honda changed then. They're not really sure if they're going to continue to stay in the sport. It's a little bit unclear. Um, and Red Bull kind of wanted a way to, you know, secure a power unit for that big rule change. And they just decided to make their own for the first time. So um, that's kind of how that happened. But yeah, it's really exciting. Okay. I had a student who wrote a paper. We were coming up with arguments last semester for AP language, and I, he's a big F1 fan. And oh. I think we developed a thesis about 
how kind of like what you're saying that it might be that racing might be the innovation that will lead to the best environmental outcomes for engines. I, it was just kind of it was an interesting thought that that kind of might be validated by what you're saying. Um, yeah, I agree with that. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what's a typical day like for you? So like, how do you know what you're working on every day? Are there like, like, is there a, a big project that you're always working on? Or what? what's what's how do you kind of divvy up your your focus when you're at work? Sure. So um, my group, it's a really interesting role that I get to be in. Um, I, I, my group is involved with the validation and testing side of the power unit. So um, specifically focused in the durability of the power unit. So within validation and testing, you kind of have two different focuses um, when you're, so basically, I, I guess I'll kind of go back a little bit. Um, the, there's a group of people that will design the power unit and design the engine, design everything that goes on it. There's a group of people that will man manufacture it. And then once all of those things are built together and um, rigged up, they'll put it on a test cell. They'll put it in a test bed. Um, and that is called a dyno. And you can basically run the engine um, outside of the car. You can just connect it to a motor and run it. And then you can measure all sorts of readings of different oil temperature, water temperature, pressure, flow, air. Um, you can measure power. You can calibrate the engine. There's a lot of really complicated factors and metrics for performance that go into it. And so my group is primarily focused on making sure that when those tests are running, the engine is healthy, that it doesn't break, that all, all things are working as they should. Um, and so several different areas that I get to get involved in that. Um, each day kind of looks different and it just depends on what's going on at that point in the test or what's happening with the engines that we've developed in our testing. Um, but I get to be involved with either sitting in the dyno, um, watching the data, making sure that all of the oil and water and air primarily temperatures, pressures and flow flow rates are as they should. Um, and then I get to get involved with the setup and creation of the test events. So um, an engine has a computer that it runs off of called an ECU. Um, and there's a lot of software versions that have to be updated and maintained for that ECU. Whenever the calibration team comes out with a new code release for that ECU, our group is responsible for maintaining that and kind of keeping it um, as it should be. And then as well as when there's a problem on the engine, um, my group will get involved with the actual strip and teardown of the engine. So whenever something breaks, I get to get involved with um, finding out what broke, taking pictures of it, documenting it, um, and kind of making a report for the larger business and designers and um, everyone else that works there to kind of see what happened um, in a more organized way. So I've gotten, I feel really lucky to have gotten involved with both sides of that. Um, but I also get to do a lot of coding I get to do a lot of metrics for damage um, that I've been working on. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like I've been able to, to really learn about the engine and get a very hands-on approach. I feel really lucky that some days I get to spend um, hours just sitting in the dyno, hearing the engine run, being right there with the development. I kind of know where the engine is at all times in terms of its development. So I feel really grateful to have that sort of role. This sounds like the coolest internship ever designed. I mean, honestly, this is incredible. It is. Like, it is. I'm, like, there's like the level of autonomy that you have is just striking. It's amazing that you and and, you. and and that you have that. Wow, and you're just there's just this incredible flood of data that you have to to manage. Um, yes. How do you know how to prioritize everything that's coming at you? 
I would say that definitely is one of the challenges. Um, there's definitely been some times in my internship where I feel like I have 50 different things going on and I don't know how to, how to prioritize yeah, I would it. Imagine. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it, it becomes a lot easier when all those things are things that you are enjoy doing and are passionate yeah. about. I think that's one part of it. I enjoy being busy. I like kind of feeling to a certain amount stressed. Um, if anyone knew me in high school, they would know that I did a lot of activities. I did a lot of classes. Um, I love just being involved. And so I think I kind of thrive on a bit of challenge and busyness, but it can get overwhelming at times. So I think just learning how to ask for help and learning how mm -hmm. to say no to things that you don't have a capacity for is also a really tough skill, yeah. especially when you're an intern, because you don't always want it to seem like you're you know, you have a limitation. You just want to be the go-to person that they can always ask something for and then you'll just do it. But there's always a limit to everyone. So um, I think just learning how to ask for help, learning how to be okay with saying, hey, sorry, I won't be able to finish this today, but I'll work on it tomorrow because I already have this thing going on. I think that's a really important skill. Um, and it's hard to do. We all want to seem like we're we're perfect in every way, but, you know, learning to 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 make mistakes and to say, hey, like, I need a break from this. Um, can I finish it tomorrow or that sort of thing? I guess just learning your limits and being humble is, is important as well for man managing all of those things. So, so true. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about how I can ask this question because it's, it's a weird one, which is that you, what you deal with is so measurable, quantifiable, but I was wondering, is there a point where you had a sense of intuition as an engineer where like, you just like, no, that's not going to work because I just have a sense of it. You know what? Does that make sense? Like, do you remember when it was where you felt that you had a level of expertise where you knew that that was not the route to take in that inquiry? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, I think really th there probably is a good technical example of that. But really, the first thing that comes to mind for me is more in my like relationships with people and the people that I work with. Mm. Um, I think as an engineer, I've learned to be very questioning about my own intuition because you always want to be able to prove that yes. what you're thinking is correct. And oftentimes, if you think that you're right and you think that you got the hang of something, more often than not, you're probably wrong. And uh. I always find that when, when I think that, that's right before I'm going to mess up on something. <laughs> so I really have learned to just kind of question myself in that way. But I think really just using your intuition in knowing, for example, to stand up for an idea that you had for a project that you think, um, or at least you think that you have the ability to try and see if it'll work. Maybe if someone else doesn't always agree with that method, but you think that you can try it, um, it's a balance of listening to that person, but also knowing when to say, hey, I would really want to try this approach um, and knowing when to, I guess, to take the blame for something when you did something wrong. That's that's always an intuition. Um, I guess really I use my intuition more in my relationship, relationships with people, which can be difficult when you're in an office environment, when you're in a work yeah. environment. Um, a lot of people in F1 have very strong personalities and that makes sense because everyone is super passionate and experienced. So that can be overwhelming as well, just working with people who have been in F1 for so many years and you're you're still so fresh and new as well. So um, I think I really use my intuition more in my interpersonal relationships rather than in a technical sense, I'd say. You're, you've been in England since July. Um, what are the things that you find to be um, uh, kind of fun about living abroad? Sure. 
um I love the UK it's been a really great experience um some of the shocks have been I guess just the differences in words that some people use um there's a lot of things that you don't realize are different um in terms of the language but um there are a decent amount of differences in that um just getting to know and understand people's accents more was a little bit of a challenge people are always very um curious about the U.S. and America that are in the UK and people have a lot of questions. They're always really um, excited to meet an American and they always want to know more about the US. So that was a little bit of a shock for me, um, but I, I love living here and I've been able to have some really cool experiences living here as well. So it's been great. Is there additional travel? Like, do you get to go to any of the races uh, as, as being part of the team? Unfortunately not, um, not at this point in my career or my, my internship, but um, maybe later in a few years, hopefully, fingers crossed. Huh. But in terms of like personal travel, yeah, I've been able to go to Spain and France. I've visited Monaco over the summer. Wow. Um, my family just came recently and we traveled to Germany and Switzerland, um, which was really, really great. Um, and then I have plans in a, in a few months to visit Scotland, Italy. Yeah, you name it. They give you a good amount of uh, vacation time or as they would say, holiday time. So it's it's I've had a lot of really um, cool experiences that I'm super grateful for in terms of traveling. When you're when you complete this internship, do you then come back to Champagne? Or I mean, are are you graduated already, or you still have to take? Is there still coursework remaining for you at U of I? Yes, I still have coursework. Um, so I have on paper two years. I think I'm going to try to finish it in a year and a half. Um. But I'm I have I still have courses to do. I'm not graduated yet. So I essentially took a year off of my studies. Um, but the goal is to come back, graduate, um, do some more cool projects with Formula SAE. Um, and then yeah, hopefully if Red Bull wants me back to do a full time position there. But if that isn't the case, then um try to work back to that point as well. Do you, oh, you almost run the risk of being bored because you had such the like, best <laughs> internship. Like you have to come yeah. back to the the land of, of going to class and all these things when you were like living and breathing all things engineering um, and in ways that were beyond many people have that degree. I, I, I just, uh, I, I feel temporarily sad for you that, that you have to come <laughs> back to, uh, to reality to some extent. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a bit of a weird transition right. going back oh, to totally, reality. Right? I feel like, yeah. I feel like it's kind of like a little bit of a break from life. Like I don't have to do classes. I can just do what I love and I'm living in the UK. Like it's great, but yeah, it's I like think, you skipped, yeah. you skipped, a, you skipped something. Now you have to come back to it. It's like, <laughs> yeah, this should be, this yeah. should be waiting for you on the other end of it, but that's, that's, yeah. gonna be, that's yeah. gonna be so cool. Wow. So, so just to kind of, I, I think you kind of just mentioned this, but like you say, like if we're giving a, a projection in five, 10 years, you, you, you want to probably return back to Red Bull or, or something else. Yes. I think I want to stay in F1 for um, several years. I don't know how long, just until I get sick of it, which who knows when that'll happen. But um, yeah, I really see myself as developing my skills as a test engineer in the dyno and then hopefully transitioning once I have enough experience, um, which will probably be several years down the line. But um, transitioning to a trackside role is really my goal and my dream um, to be able to run the engine for the actual races, um, similar to how it runs on the dyno. So that's kind of my longer term plan. But we got some time before we get there. Yeah. Lots of learning to do. So, so 
Yeah. It's kind of like a, a as a as an engineer, mechanical engineer. Is there anything that you see in terms of how progress is being made in in the upcoming years, where you're just really excited because you think that that's just going to be a game changer, like a net win for team human that we're going to be like, there's just, there's going to be an innovation that you think that's a, that's, it's on the way. Is there anything that excites you like that you've kind of, you anticipate that's going to happen in the realm of engineering or mechanical engineering specifically? I think it's really exciting. Like I mentioned the rule changes um, in 2026 and how it can apply to road cars. Um, I think with the biofuels, that's never really been tested that much in terms of sustainable fuels Mm. um and i think the fuel that is used in f1 it's a little bit different but it's also pretty similar to the fuel that's used in road cars and so i think if um if the development that um red bull powertrains as well as all the other f1 teams that are preparing for 2026 um in this power unit change um if they can really develop the um a engine that can work well under these sustainable fuels i think that'll be really promising for the future of um, engine development, for the future of sustainable development, um, and as well as the electrification development that happens. So F1 uses a turbo hybrid um, power unit. So there's turbocharged engine V6, but it also has a motor generator unit um, that is used by, it's recharged from the kinetic energy that the car collects from braking. So um, that will be really exciting. It's attracted Ford, Porsche, Audi, Mercedes, Ferrari, um, Alpine, Aston Martin, you name it, all of the the car manufacturers are really excited, um, Honda as well, for this new um, uh, technology to kind of take place. So I think if F1 can do it right and really prove this out in 2026, it can have a lot of implications for road cars and sustainability in that sense, which is really exciting. It is exciting. I mean, because it's, I mean, our, our need for those types of engines is is not going away ever. So uh-huh. I, you're yep. absolutely right. It's so true. Uh, wow. Anna, this has been so great. Thank you so much. And I always like ending the interview uh, with a question. You've given so, so much incredible advice and perspective already, but as maybe just one more question specifically, what tips for success would you give for current Wildcats? Sure. Um, I would say find a balance between figuring out what you like doing and what you're passionate about. And if you don't know at this point in time, that's okay. Just try everything that you can. Um, Really throw yourself into activities at WeGo and clubs and organizations and your classes. Don't be afraid to really dig into those and be busy with them. But also, I think this is something I didn't do as well when I was in high school was don't be afraid to kind of rest and just be a human being, be a kid, be a teenager, have fun, spend time with your friends, enjoy the parts of high school, like the dances and um, football games and those sort of things, whatever it is that is kind of helps you be away from the work side of it. Don't be afraid to do that as well. Cause I think I was always so focused on working and being involved and it was really great. But don't be afraid to rest and just be a human being as well, because we should be balanced in both sides of it. Well, Anna, this has been great. Thank you so much. And I am going to make a calendar reminder to uh, reach out to you again in four years. And uh, we're going to do this again. And we're going to find out what you've been doing, what you're doing and what Promethean (laughs) engine technology that you've uh, that you've uh, been working on since then. This has been so great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. 
do us a favor and spread the word about We Go Places by sharing our interviews with other Wildcats. If you want to search past episodes or stay current, subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere where you can get your podcasts. Just search We Go Places. You can follow We Go Places on our Facebook page as well, and also Twitter at We Go Places Podcast. And if you know a former Wildcat who would be a great guest, send me a direct message on Facebook, Twitter, or by school email at bturnbow at d94.org. 